0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet Six Inches LSU Pod. Thank you for joining me. Well, it's finally here, opening weekend at the box. But before we get into this jam packed episode, make sure you check out all of the SEC preview podcasts in addition to the PAC 12 preview episode I did with Mark Garland from the Weekend Rotation Podcast. You can find all of this content on the 60 Feet Six Inches YouTube channel if you prefer podcast form. We got you covered there as well. That's available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. And everything is always linked on the Twitter account. And once again, that Twitter account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. So in this episode, there will be a little bit of everything. I will do a complete breakdown position by position of the LSU roster. I will predict the starting lineup for Friday night. I will also do a very small preview of LSU's opponent this weekend, the Western Michigan Broncos. And finally, for those that may not remember or for those that are happen to be new to the podcast, I will give you my three keys to the weekend and as always, the get right stay right list. Let's get into it. Position breakdown. So if you heard the LSU and Tennessee preview that I released on Wednesday, I got into this a little bit, but I wanted to take a deeper dive and comment more on the pitching staff as well. So let's start off outfield and work our way in. Outfield, just an amazing collection of returning and new talent to the roster for 2023. It starts with the consensus All-American and returning SEC Player of the Year, potential number one draft pick in the Major League Draft, center fielder Dylan Cruz. All he did was hit 22 home runs and drive in 72 runs last year for the Tigers. Also in the outfield, you have sophomore Josh Pearson. He was a part-time starter last year in right field. But looking at the scrimmages in the fall and in the spring, I've seen him predominantly work in left field. So I think he can play both positions. It'll be interesting to see where Coach Jay Johnson feels like he works best. And some of that may depend on the DH role. We'll get into that later. In terms of some of the other starting outfielders or spots that may be up for grabs, you have the candidates will be Brayden Jobear, who is primarily a DH, but he has played a lot of outfield this year in the fall and spring scrimmages. You also have sophomore returning outfielder Josh Stevenson. I love his defense, but does his bat play from an everyday perspective? I think you may see him be more of a late-inning defensive replacement and get some at-bats early in the season. And then moving on to the freshman. Jay Johnson and those guys did a great job bringing Paxton Kling to campus. Kling is physically ready. He seems to have all the tools, and I think he's going to take over for Cruz next year in center field. And they also have – Freshman outfielders Mick Paul from Utah and then Zeb Ruttle from the Monroe area. And both those guys have performed very well in the fall and in the spring. Ruttle hit a ton of home runs in the fall. And their defensive skills have flashed at times as well. I think you will see a rotation of Joe Bear, Stevenson, and Kling early on. I think Pearson retains his spot as a starter in the outfield last year. And another thing I think you need to watch out for is You know, if Pearson doesn't hit, then what does that look like? Does Joe Bear slide into one of those outfield starting roles permanently? Does Kling now take over right field and then left field's up for grabs, depending on who's swinging the hot bat with regards to Pearson, Stevenson? And can you get by defensively with Joe Bear in the outfield? That also may depend on what Paul Skeen's situation is and what the DH role looks like. So a lot of moving parts. It's going to be interesting to see moving forward. And before we get into SEC conference play, what those spots look like around the All-American Dylan Cruz. Moving on to the infield, we're going to start first at first base with Trey Morgan. I think he provides a ton of stability at that position, and he's one of the best defensive first basemen in the country. I also predict he's going to hit double-digit home runs this year. He's gotten bigger and stronger to me, and I just think he's going to have a lot of pop and have the ability to swing for the fences a little more, not so much as a uh, move guys around with his bat type of year for Trey Morgan. It's also good to see Cade Beloso back at first after missing all of last year with an injury. Every time I've seen him, he has been very solid at the plate, doing whatever it took to get on base or get the job done. That's exactly what you would expect from a senior. And I also think Beloso can DH or pinch hit late in the game versus a right-handed pitcher because he is a left-handed hitter. Also, two freshmen that could see some time at first base are Jared Jones and Ethan Fry. Both were recruited as catchers and both have done both during the fall and spring, caught and played first base. But I have a feeling there's a little bit of a log jam behind the plate, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some of those guys get some action early on in the year at first base, get a couple of late inning appearances, and then also have a chance to swing the bat as well. Both are very tall. They're very strong kids for freshmen, and they have a ton of power. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with those guys moving on in their LSU careers, if one of those guys transitions directly to first base with the potential of Morgan moving on after this year due to the draft and Beloso being a senior. When you move on to second base, that's one of the question marks heading into the opening weekend at Alex Box Stadium. And I think it's going to be a revolving door until those guys sort themselves out and you see who Coach Jay Johnson feels most comfortable with heading into conference play. The guys up for that position are returning LSU Tiger, Gavin Dugas. He's played here a lot. He's done some really good things. He's battled through some injuries the past couple of years. You've also seen him move from second to third in the fall and in the spring. You have not seen him in the outfield as of yet. Look, Dugas is a solid hitter with a lot of pop. He will definitely get hit by a pitch. Seems like he does that at least once a game when he's in the lineup defensively. I haven't seen anything that makes me think he can't play there during the SEC, but only time will tell. Another returner to the second base spot is infielder Jack Merrifield from Dutchtown High School. He's bided his time at LSU. He's worked really hard. He came from LSU Eunice in that established, very successful JUCO program as one of the best JUCO defensive players in the country. And I think defensively he's very solid, but the thing I've been most impressed with from Merrifield throughout the fall and spring has been the consistency he's shown with his bat. That's continued to impress me, and I think he's making the decision hard for the coaching staff as to whether or not he deserves a starting role, how much playing time he gets. Hit he gets, but he's definitely not going away. And every time I've seen him play, he's been very solid, whether it be at second base or third base. And then lastly, in the second base discussion, you have VCU transfer Ben Nepolt. He was an Atlantic Ten all-conference selection, and a starter for VCU. He comes in with a lot of experience. He's a left-handed hitter, and I really like his approach at the plate. He had more walks than strikeouts last year, and to me, you can slot him in at the bottom of the order, and he's going to do the job, move runners over, take a walk, battle with a 3-2 count, and roll the lineup over so that Cruz, Morgan White, and Skeens, and Joe Bear can hit with runners on base. He seems like he has a very high baseball IQ, and in my opinion, I think he may end up being the starter there by the time SEC conference play rolls around. Let's move on to third base. Now, some of these guys that played second or in the second base discussion can transfer over to third base as well. But manning the spot right now is the number one ranked transfer portal addition in the country, Tommy White, a.k.a. Tommy Tanks. By now, I'm sure most of you know that he had 27 home runs last year as a freshman for North Carolina State, which is actually the most home runs for a freshman in NCAA history. I think most people have been concerned about his defense when he signed on with the Tigers since he was mainly a DH last year, but every time I've seen him out there, he's been very solid at third base. He showed a good arm, and he showed surprising range. In terms of a backup, I think it's either going to be Gavin Dugas, who we mentioned briefly for the second base discussion, And then Jack Merrifield can slide over and provide some backup at third base as well. But to me, it's going to be whites unless something drastic happens, such as an injury or the the defensive ability that I've seen him flash in scrimmages just goes, takes a 180 and goes the other direction. Moving on to shortstop. I think this is LSU fans. One major concern coming off of 2022 unbeknownst to most everybody. And this is just recently kind of come out in the media. Jordan Thompson had a knee procedure right before the season. So early in the year, he was just trying to get healthy and he was playing on a bum knee. And I think that really contributed to his slide last year and performances defensively and with the bat a little bit as well. Hats off to that young man for trying to play through it. But this year, I really think he's going to turn things around now that he is completely healthy, both at the plate and in the field behind him. You have a highly touted freshman from Barb High School in Lake Charles, Louisiana, Gavin Guidry. I think he's going to be a great shortstop at LSU. I just don't ne- necessarily know if it's going to be this year. I do think he's going to get some AVs to let the people see what he can do and what the future holds at shortstop. I just don't see him playing a ton. You can also see Napolt slide over to that position as well, so he can play short and second base. I've seen him do that in the scrimmages, and he's looked just fine over there as well. All right, moving on to the catchers. To me, this is a huge defensive upgrade than what LSU fans had last year. You know, Alex Milazzo was slotted in to be the starter. He went out and basically missed a whole year with an injury. So you saw Tyler McManus and Hayden Trevinsky split that spot. And in terms of recruiting, this is an area that Jay Johnson and his staff absolutely smashed and knocked it out the park. The good thing is Malazzo is back completely healthy He's got an absolute cannon behind the dish. He does a great job defensively. And I think his bat's going to pick up from where LSU fans remember him in the past. You also have Hayden Trevinsky who is back at catcher as well. I think he may have more of a role as a DH this year. But if he does happen to step in behind the plate, I'm not concerned. He's a big physical presence behind the, la- behind the plate and um, very vocal guy, always cheering others on. So it seems like he has some of those leadership qualities you want in your catchers as well. But when you look at the freshmen, it's really three guys that are in the running to back up Malazzo. You have Brady Neal, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some Sunday starts early on just to rest Milazzo's legs. Neal is a freshman from ING Academy, and he, he actually reclassified. So he is technically supposed to be a senior in high school this year. And when you watch this guy hit, he can absolutely handle the bat. He's kind of more of a quote-unquote prototypical catcher size, probably that 5'10 st- stocky strong, mold, much like Milazzo compared to the other two freshmen that I'm getting ready to mention. Neal is good defensively. I think Milazzo is better. He also has a good arm, maybe not quite to the level of Malazzo's, but very capable arm behind the dish. And in terms of his hitting approach, I just think he's very advanced. Swings the bat well from the left side. He has some pop to go along with that. And I think, man, when you talk about the future of the catching position at LSU, I think Brady Neal will be that guy. But He's not going to go down without a fight as you have two other freshmen that came in with Neil and Jared Jones and Ethan Fry. As I mentioned in the first base discussion, I think one of those guys eventually moves over to first base full time in their LSU career. And the other one is going to continue to battle Neil for that freshman catcher spot. Now let's move on to DH. I've been kind of teasing it and mentioning a lot early on and out this podcast, when you're looking at position players. And to me, this is a jam packed position with a lot of options. And I have no idea how this is going to shake out. I think some of these guys may be key when you look at late inning pinch hit options as well for Jay Johnson. There's a lot of power, a lot of guys that can swing it, and it's going to be a revolving door. And then you throw into the mix Paul Skeens and what he brings to the table. It seems like obviously he's going to start on Friday, but he may be penciled into the DH spot on Sunday just because of the fact that he hit 13 home runs for Air Force last year. So just a ton of options left-handed and right-handed, and I'm sure Jay Johnson is uh, licking his chops when he can move in either one of these guys to DH, and then late-inning pinch hit options as well. So besides schemes, you have Braden Bear who I mentioned as the outfield spot. So as a reminder, Bear hit 18 home runs last year. You also have Beloso, who's going to back up Trey Morgan at first. You have Trevinsky, who I just mentioned that goes along with the catcher group. And then you have Gavin Dugas. If he can't find a home in the infield, he can DH as well. And then once again, the freshman that I've mentioned a couple times at first base and catcher with Jared Jones and Ethan Fry. Those two guys are massive. 6'3", 6'4", well over 200 pounds, very strong with a lot of pop. And they sent numerous balls out of Alec Box in the fall and in the spring. My opinion, I think you see Joe Bear and Jones get the majority of the DHABs early in the year, except for on Sundays. I think you see Skeens get those at-bats before complex play starts. Okay, moving into the pitchers, and at the time of this recording, some information has come out with regards to what it seems like Jay Johnson's plan is for the opening weekend versus Western Michigan, but I'm not going to do that just so I can be right. I'm going to read y'all exactly what I had written out in terms of who I think the starters should be, who will be the starters, and I'm probably going to be wrong, just as I am when I go over my projected lineup, because it seems like some things are moving in a different direction at the time of this recording, but I'm not going to do it just to be right, and I'm not going to change up my script. I'm just going to plow straight ahead and give you my opinion. If I'm wrong, well, then I'm wrong, and so be it. This is all for fun anyway, right? All right, pitchers. I'm going to break it up into starters, midweek guys slash swing guys, and then relievers at the end. Friday night, we're going to start off with Paul Skeens. I think that's locked in. I think – Unless something crazy happens, you're going to see him start every Friday night throughout the year. 6'8", 240. If you haven't seen him in person, he's absolutely massive. He's a Team USA guy. The number two ranked transfer portal player. He can run it up to 97.99. He's going to sit 97.99 in the first couple innings. I do think he's going to hit 100 several times this year, so that's going to be a blast for the fans to see that pop up on the radar screen. I mean, he's, I got an absolutely phenomenal arm and he's projected as a top 10 major league baseball pick come the springtime. He's got a wipeout slider to go along with that electric fastball. He'll also feature a two seam fastball, which sits in that 94 95 range. And he also has a change up for strike to go along with the rest of his repertoire. I also think Ty Floyd slots in as a starter during the weekend, in my opinion. Now, if something comes out later that he's not starting this weekend, so be it. But to me, I think Floyd starts. I think he could be a great Saturday starter. Last year, he started 10 games for the Tigers in 2022. He went five and four with a 3.77 ERA. I saw him pitch very recently. I think he is poised for a breakout year, much is saying that Jordan Thompson is. Everyone has always wondered about his off-speed pitches for strike to go along with his mid-90s fastball. And from what I saw the other day, one, he does have those pitches for strikes. To me, his changeup looks absolutely phenomenal. And I think that's ahead of his curveball and his curveball is getting better, and I think he's still trying to develop some consistency with it, but when you have a changeup for a strike, and you sit 94 to 96, and you can flip in a breaking ball for a strike as well, maybe 2-0, 1-0, 2-1, that just makes it even tougher for those opposing hitters to lock in on you, so I think Floyd is poised for a very big year this year. Moving on to the third starter, for me, it's Stature Hurd out the gate. Now, are they going to Take it slow with Thatcher Hurd. I've seen him throw three, four innings in scrimmages, but I can understand the the hesitancy as we're ramping up the season to maybe only give him three innings and let him build up some strength, make sure everything's good with the back. For those who aren't aware, he is a UCLA transfer. He is a right-handed pitcher. He was the number seventh-ranked portal player this year. He did miss most of last year with a back injury, but he was lights out for UCLA before that. He had a 1.06 ERA and a 138 batting average against and six games started for the Bruins. He also has a mid-90s fastball, but he's more of a slider, tight cutter type of a pitcher. And he also has a hard breaking ball. So everything he throws is hard, hard slider or cutter. And then he has a hard breaking ball to go along with that fastball. I'm not sure if they'll start him out in the midweek. But to me, I think he's a great Sunday option. Or you can flip him and Ty Floyd, right? One on Saturday, one on Sunday. And there's somebody else that's going to challenge for that spot, I think, later on in the year. But to me, I go with Hurd just because of his ability to pitch college-level games and high-level games for UCLA last year. And I think LSU fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with how good Thatcher Hurd is this year. And a welcome addition to the staff for 2023. Now, getting into my midweek swing, guys. These are guys that I think could potentially start on the weekend, but at the beginning of the year, they're going to start in midweek. They have the ability to go three, four, five innings. And when I say swing, that means if, if uh, let's say Christian Little, we're going to start out with him, the Vanderbilt transfer. I think he can start games and give you three or four innings. And then on the weekend, he has the ability to give you maybe two innings in relief. And then he's back ready again for that midweek starting role. And he's somebody I think will challenge for an SEC starting spot down the road. But the caveat with Christian Little is what did they do with him now that Grant Taylor got hurt? So it seemed like Grant Taylor was going to pencil into that closer role and Little has spent time in the the bullpen with Vanderbilt early in his career. So I think I think they could start him midweek and I think they could push him to the back end of that bullpen to let him take Grant Taylor's role. So it's very tough right now with the pitching staff to put definitive answers on everything. Right now, to me, it's just guesses with a lot of guys. But I've seen little pitch. He's anywhere from 92 to 96. I think he has some more in the tank. He has very good movement with his fastball. He has three other pitches for strikes. He will throw his slider and his changeup at any point in the time. Even if he's down 3-1, he has a ton of confidence in that. And he also has a curveball that he can flip in there for a strike as well. I like his demeanor. It just depends on the conversations that he had with LSU transferring from Vanderbilt. I don't know if he wants to be more dominant in terms of a bullpen guy, but I think he wants to have more. He wants to take on more of that starters role, expand his repertoire, get more innings under his belt, obviously to prepare for his future in Major League Baseball. But for me right now, Little is really a perfect swing guy. You can use an either or, but I like his repertoire and like I said, I think if he moves more into that reliever role, I think you'll see his fastball velo jump up into the more mid to upper 90s to go along with that really hard slider that he has. That's it. that's really about 89 to 90, 91. Another swing guy is sophomore returning right-handed pitcher Samuel Dutton. So if LSU fans remember, Dutton was the Sunday starter last year through SEC play. 11 games started for the Tigers in 2022. I think he can easily fill this role of a midweek swing guy since he's kind of done that. In the past, he'll have a low 90s fastball to pair with a breaking ball as well. And then the other guy that fits into the midweek swing guy, swing category for me that everybody is excited about around the program, fans and media, is the big freshman right-handed pitcher from Texas, Chase Shores. And when I say big, he's big. He's a true 6'8". So him and Skeens look like twins out there. He has a big arm and big potential. And I think he's going to be an absolute stud for years to come for the LSU faithful. You're going to love watching him pitch. He's going to sit 97, 99 early on, and no, that is not a typo. I did not misspeak. I think he's going to hit 100 several times this year. He's also got a wipeout slider to pair along with a changeup. At times, look, he's a freshman, so he can lose his motion. He can get a little wild out there just in terms of walks, not really getting hit around, more so from a control perspective. He could walk one or two guys in a row. I've seen it happen in scrimmage, but he has the ability and the stuff to get out of those jams. Another thing for his size, he's very smooth on the mound. He doesn't look unathletic. He's not herky-jerky. He moves very well. He's got a nice, easy motion. And to me, he has the stuff to be a starter. A lot of people want to put him in the bullpen because he throws so hard, but you got to remember with the bullpen, there's a lot of other things that go into it just besides velocity. I'll get into that a little bit later. But he's got three pitches for a strike, maybe some inconsistencies in his secondary stuff and his motion, but when he throws that hard and he can be that dominant for long stretches of a game, to me, that's scream starter. I think you get his feet wet starting midweek games early in the year, like a Southern, like a Nichols, uh, I forget who else they have, McNeese or Lamar, give him three innings to get his feet wet, and then come conference play, is he ready to take over a Sunday role He's got the stuff to do it. So I think Chase Shores is a great swing guy early on, but he's going to push for an SEC starting place once conference player or the middle of conference play comes around. Now relievers, there's a ton of guys out there, as you would imagine. So I'm going to split them up into right-handed and left-handed pitchers just to make things easier so we can keep track of guys. So first off, let's start off with the righties. Returning reliever right-handed pitcher Bryce Collins, he's back after appearing in 20 games for the Tigers last year. I think he made a huge leap from last year to this year. I'm excited for everybody to see him take the mound. So last year, if you remember, he always had that big curveball for a strike somewhere in the low 70s, but his, ve- and his velocity was around 89 to 91 with his fastball. But now he's up to 94, 95 consistently. And he's still got that big curveball for a strike that's going to float in there around 74. He's also added a changeup and a cutter. One thing that fans are going to notice is that everybody has developed in terms of their ability to throw multiple pitches for strikes. Nobody's just going to sit there and pump fastballs all day, kind of like what we saw with Gervais and Razelman last year. Those guys in the pen and starters are going to have two for sure, if not three or four pitches for strikes just other wrinkles that they're going to give those hitters to think about besides pounding 95 into the zone. So back to Collins. It's been very impressive to see him throw those other pitches for strikes and his velocity jump has been really impressive. Last year, he was kind of a middle bullpen guy. He would get you through like five or six innings, that is. And then now I think he could slide into the back end almost as a setup guy with his fastball jumping up in terms of velocity. Another guy from the right-handed side of things is junior Blake money. So as y'all know, he began the year last year as the Friday night guy for LSU, but eventually moved to Saturday after Mikhail Hilliard took over that role. And I think this year's role for LSU is going to be more based out of the pen with the ability to go long if needed. And he brings a ton of experience to this role. So one thing for money being a starter. So he's got that stamina and he has the ability to go multiple times to the order. So if for some reason, a starter gets knocked out early you could see money come in and go three, four, five, save the pin and get it to your late inning guys. And I think that's a valuable add in the bullpen. You also have junior Garrett Edwards. And I think he could he could be poised for a breakout year this year for LSU. The last time I saw him, he absolutely carved up the Tiger hitters. He was sitting 94 to 95 with his fastball. And he had an outstanding cutter slash slider to go along with his fastball. If he continues to pitch like that, To me, I think he could be a setup man or a late-inning guy, much like Razelman was in 2022. Now, you haven't seen a ton of Edwards, really, when you move into conference play, but the way he looked the other day and the velocity that his fastball has and really how sharp and hard his cutter slider is, to me, he could be a perfect uh, seventh or eighth-inning guy for the Tigers this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how – Pitching coach Wes Johnson uses those right-handed relievers because there's a lot, and there's a lot of experience in who he feels comfortable with in that middle to long relief role and then moving in to later in the games in that setup-slash-closer role. Another upperclassman is Will Helmers, who returns for the Tigers. He has a low three-quarters delivery that's tough to hit off of. He's low 90s as well with a slider. I think he's going to fit into that middle relief or even a specialist right-handed role to where if you need a strikeout or a ground ball double play based on his release point, he can come in and get get you out of a jam or get you out of an inning based on his stuff. And he's got a little bit of a funky delivery as well, so that works in his favor. And then rounding out the list for the right-handed pitchers is highly touted freshman from Mississippi, Aiden Moffitt. So he is somebody with an absolute big-time fastball. He's going to be upper 90s, kind of 95 to 97 a lot of people have talked about him sliding into the closer role potentially as a freshman. So I think early on, it's going to be important for him to have some success on the mound against kind of lower level competition, throw him in there in seventh, eighth, and ninth, let him get his feet wet. Because you got to remember, a lot of these kids coming from high school, they don't come in as relievers. They all started in high school. So coming out the bullpen is a completely different animal. Can you throw multiple days on a weekend? How does your arm bounce back? Are you good to go after 25 pitches? Can you throw the next day? How do you, How are you coming in with runners on second, with runners on first and third? You know, can you come in straight in and throw out of the stretch and throw strikes right away and not walk a lot of people and let the game get out of hand? This is something these freshmen are going to have to get used to. And also there's a different warm-up regimen when you come from the pen as well because you're up there getting hot. How many pitches does it take you to get loose, you know? You don't have as much time as you do as a starter. you got to come in and have at least one pitch for a strike, if not two. And how do they adjust to that with an increased level of competition before they head into SEC play? So to me, from a reliever standpoint, those are all the things I'm going to be looking for from the righties and from the lefties. So let's get into this left-handed list. Obviously, I was left-handed. So to me, the coolest pitchers out there. The biggest guy for me, the biggest returning piece in that bullpen is Riley Cooper. Now, I will say at the time of this recording, some things have kind of come out to where he may be a starter for the Western Michigan series. In my opinion, I think his best role is as a reliever because he has so much value, so much experience, and he can do different things. He can go two to three innings if needed. He can come in in the eighth inning and get you out of a jam as he did so many times last year, or if it's the ninth inning, he could close because I like his mentality, and he has the ability to throw multiple days in a weekend. So with that value, and as tough as the SEC is going to be this year, I think taking Cooper out of that role, I'm not going to see it It's a mistake because Jay Johnson and Wes Johnson absolutely know what they're doing, and that's what they get paid for. I just think as a starter, his value may diminish a little bit in terms of what you have out there in the pen. All right, so Cooper, real quick, he's dominant. He's got a three-quarter arm slot. He's going to be 89 to 91. He's got that very good slider, but this year I've seen him throw – more of a more changeups in scrimmages, and the changeup's been for a strike. It's been great. He's got a lot of confidence in that pitch. You saw him flash that a little bit at the end of 2022, but this year it looks like he's going to feature it more. And he's also kind of added an overhand curveball to go along with that very nice slider that he has as well. I've seen him maintain his velocity when he's throwing three innings in scrimmages. He just sits 89 to 91 almost every pitch. And he's got all four pitches for a strike. And he's kind of got that bulldog mentality where he's going to throw it up there. If you hit it, great. If not, then he's going to move on to the next guy. He's going to do his job. He's going to walk off the mound. And then whenever you let him know it's time to go pitch again, he's going to get up. And he's going to do that once again as well. So I love Raleigh Cooper in the pen. Massive piece for LSU in 2023. You also have Juco left-handed pitcher Nate Ackenhausen. I don't think I've talked about him enough. I don't think a lot of people have talked about him enough. But as you saw, if you remember in that Southern Miss regional, the pen was just taxed. The starters a lot of times couldn't make it through four or five innings throughout the year. So guys like Fontenot, Wittmeyer, Cooper, Collins, Gervais, Razelman were just overloaded in terms of their arms and their legs because they were being called upon numerous times throughout the weekend to come in in high leverage spots and get out. And I think with Ackenhausen this year, he gives Raleigh Cooper some backup from the left-hand side of things. A Juco guy, so he's experienced. He's very much in the mold of Riley Cooper in terms of stuff and style. Not so much low three-quarter, more of an overhand delivery from Ackenhausen. He's going to sit 89 to 92 with his fastball, but he's got more of a hard overhand breaking ball that's going to be anywhere from 78 to 80 that he can throw for a strike, that he can bury when he's ahead in the count. So he's more of a curveball guy, whereas Cooper is more of a slider guy. And I think he's just going to help out Cooper in that pen and take the load off. And he could potentially be moved into that swing role to where he could get a midweek start and go three or four innings. I've seen him do that in scrimmages. But I think moving forward for the Tigers in 2023, he's going to slot right in to that bullpen role and do whatever you need. Late inning out, lefty specialist, or that middle relief role. Akenhausen, a big ad for Coach Wes Johnson and the pitching staff. I want to mention two talented freshmen that came in this year from the left-handed side. You have Griffin Herring from Southlake, Texas. And then you have the local kid from central Louisiana, DJ Primo. Both of them are really similar in terms of stature and stuff. When I've seen them, their deliveries look very similar. Their arm slots look very similar. They're both kind of that 90 to 93 range as lefties. They both feature a slider and a little bit of a changeup as well. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Western Michigan. I'm not going to do a massive breakdown on Western Michigan. Just a couple of bullet points. And then we're going to get into the three keys for the weekend and the get right, stay right list. The Western Michigan Broncos out of the MAC conference. So last year they went 18 and 36, and they were 15 and 24 in conference play. So not good at all. I will say the hitters, though. I think LSU has to be careful with a couple of these guys. They do return four of their top five hitters from 2022, and these guys put up really good numbers. So just a couple of names to look out for for the LSU faithful as you make your way to Alec Box this weekend. Infielder Gavin Doyle. He was second on the team with a 343 average, three home runs and forty-five RBIs. He did hit eighteen doubles. Outfielder Dylan Navarre, he was the Mac freshman player of the year last year. He was also a collegiate baseball freshman All American. He hit three twenty-five with eleven bombs, which led the team, and then forty nine RBIs on the year for Navarre. He also had twenty doubles. So very impressive year by that young man as a freshman. So I think if on the scouting report, you highlight Dylan Navarre right there. He's looking to build upon that as a sophomore. Home runs, doubles, can do it all for that outfielder for Western Michigan. Moving back to the infield, you have Jimmy Allen, who hit 315 with five bombs and 31 RBIs, 11 doubles and three triples. And then finally, infielder Cade Sullivan. He was second team all-conference last year for the Broncos. He hit 310, 10 home runs, and 52 RBIs, which led the team So to me, these four guys are going to be hitters that you absolutely have to highlight on the scouting report and guys that you don't want to beat you. The rest of their lineup is very ho-hum. They returned some experience from a bad team last year. But I do not want these guys to beat me in late inning scenarios with runners on base because they can absolutely run the ball out of the ballpark. And as you can see, they hit a lot of doubles as well. Moving on to the pitchers. I'm not trying to be mean or hateful, but their pitching staff was absolutely horrible last year. They had a team ERA of 8.77. Yes, your ears did not deceive you. 8.77 as a team out of 293 Division I baseball teams. They ranked 285th in team ERA, so the ninth worst in the entire country. As a staff, they had a 339 batting average to and they gave up 12.86 hits per nine innings pitched, which was the fifth worst in the country. So they gave up a ton of hits and a ton of runs on a colossally bad level. I would imagine the LSU hitters are looking to tee off on these guys this weekend once they hit a scouting report to get the box rocking early, let those freshmen get in the game and have some fun for their first college experience of the year. Very quickly, four guys that will probably start – and a key reliever. You have left-handed pitcher who is a senior, Dane Armbrustmacher. It's a very difficult name to pronounce. Can't wait to hear Bill Bill Franke say that over the weekend. Dane Armbrustmacher. 14 games started, a 6.47 ERA. That's one of the best on the staff, unfortunately. 65 innings pitched, 85 hits given up, and he did have 73 Ks in those 65 innings pitched. So he's a senior. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the Friday night guy. Right-handed pitcher, Crandall, 10 games started, 7.19 ERA with a 356 batting average against. I promise I'm not making these numbers up. Left handed pitcher Joe Shapiro, seven games started. So, right there, I think those are your three starters, probably two lefties and the right handed pitcher in Crandall. And a key guy out the bullpen is junior right handed pitcher Hayden Berg, a team high 17 appearances, 56 innings pitched, and 60 Ks. So, I told you that was going to be a short scouting report on Western Michigan. Not a very good year last year, struggles in the pitching staff, but those four hitters are people to watch out for and they can absolutely swing the bat. So if you're a Tigers pitcher, I would definitely would not take those guys lightly. Okay, for those that are new to the pod and for those that are returning to the pod and may have forgotten, I always like to give you the three keys to the weekend. This is for every weekend series on the upcoming opponent. And I do think LSU will handle the Broncos very easily. And I think they will sweep them. So my keys are pretty generic. The first key, transfer portal guys. I want to see those players show up and show out. Everyone in the fan base, the local and national media, has touted this as the number one transfer portal class in the country. I would like nothing more than to see Paul Skeens go out there and dominate Friday night and have a couple of hits if he DHs on Sunday. I would love to see Tommy White play good defense at third base and hit absolute lasers all over the field for the LSU faithful. I would love to see Christian Little on the mound for a couple of innings and see what role he provides, whether or not he's going to be a bullpen guy or slide into that closer role now that Grant Taylor has been hurt. I would like to see Thatcher Hurd, which I projected as a starter, throw this weekend, which I don't think it's going to happen at the time of this recording. But I would love to see how he throws in front of the LSU fans. you got to remember that is a completely different atmosphere, what he was used to at UCLA and coming down south and our passion for college baseball. The second key to the weekend, I want to see the freshman shine. Once again, a much heralded, number one ranked high school recruiting class, and I would like nothing more than to see these young men who are very talented do exactly what I have seen in fall and spring scrimmages and to replicate those results on opening weekend. I would love to see the power of Jones and Fry on display, the catching ability of Neal, the ability to play outfield and handle the bats like Paxton Kling, McPaul, and Zeb Rodell have demonstrated throughout the fall and spring, and then finally to see Louisiana's own Gavin Gidger get some time at short, and show the Tiger faithful what they have in store for the future. I would also like to see if some of these guys get some mound time. We mentioned Chase Shores, the big freshman right-hander from Texas. Love to see 98-99 on the scoreboard when he takes the mound. I want to see if Aiden Moffitt can close and what his stuff looks like in late-inning scenarios. And then finally, do Herring and Primo get their feet wet, come in, face a couple lefties, and get out the game. And then finally, the last key to the weekend is defense. A massive bugaboo for LSU last year. Every time a ground ball was hit, I know a lot of LSU fans, myself included, would kind of cringe just waiting to see if we can make that play. But I would love to see the defense play very solid early in the year, especially on opening weekend. I would love to see a zero in the E column. I know the coaching staff would, and so would a lot of the fan base. And then finally, to go along with the defense to solidify that catching position, now that Alex Malazzo is back behind the dish. All right, moving on. Probably my favorite part of the show, the get right stay right list. So, in addition to the three keys to the weekend, always do a get right stay right list. I pick three players because I want them to get right, because they're struggling a little bit, or I want them to stay right because they've been absolutely tearing it up. But since this is the opening weekend, I pick three, I just pick three guys who I think are gonna be a key to the team for 2023. The first guy, Jordan Thompson, and I mentioned it during the shortstop preview. But his defensive struggles last year, having a knee procedure for the season, battling to get healthy throughout the season, and then playing on that knee, hats off to that young man, but he just didn't seem right all year. And you saw some of the defensive liabilities uh, come alive in the shortstop position. But I think he's going to have a great year. I think he's going to have a turnaround year. He's going to flash those defensive skills that he's been known for. We all know he's got a cannon for an arm, but I think he's going to be much improved at the plate. I can only imagine how much that knee hurting, trying to twist on it, trying to generate power. And I think you'll see his average go up and possibly his homer numbers go up as well. Another get right, stay right candidate is Alex Milazzo, coming off for a year taken away due to injury. I know the LSU fans will be glad to see him back behind the plate, showing off his arm and his defensive catching ability. And I think his hitting is going to pick up as well. And then finally, Ty Floyd. I've mentioned it before. I've mentioned it on numerous podcasts. I think he's going to have a huge year for LSU this year, or at least I hope so. He has absolutely great stuff. He's developed his off-speed pitches, and I think he's going to prove to be a capable, very capable number 2 or number 3 for the Tigers this year to solidify that rotation. I want him to get off to a dominant start and build some confidence and build some momentum so we can see what the season has in store for him. And I think the number 2 and the number 3 starter are going to be absolutely massive for the Tiger pitching staff and ultimately the success The 2023 LSU Tigers moving forward. All right, a little fun for y'all right here. I think this is going to be completely wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. My predicted Friday night lineup. I have Pearson hitting first, leading off, playing left field. Cruz batting second, playing center field. Morgan batting third at first. Tommy White, AKA Tommy Tanks, hitting fourth, playing third base. Joe Bear playing right field. I have Thompson hitting sixth, playing shortstop. I have Beloso, the vet, at DH, hitting seventh. The caveat is if they face a left handed pitcher, I'm gonna put Jones in there at DH in the seven hole. In the eight hole, I have Alex Malazzo at catcher. And in the nine hole, I have the VCU transfer of Ben Napolt at second base. So once again, I have Pearson Cruz Morgan, White Joe Bear Thompson. Beloso slash Jones, depending on who pitches for Western Michigan, and then Malazzo and the rounding up the order. Once again, I think I'm going to be completely wrong on that based off some information that's uh, coming out, but I wrote it down the other day. I'm going to stick with it, and the other thing I did, if you'll notice, I went left, right, left, right, left, right the whole way down the lineup. I know Jay Johnson is a big fan of that, so that none of the opposing pitchers can get an advantage with multiple lefties or multiple righties in a row, and they can't bring in different guys from the bullpen. So that's another reason why I crafted the lineup the way I did. A little bit of yap for y'all. My prediction, I have Tommy Tanks hitting the first home run of the year for the Tigers. I have Paul Skeens hitting 100 this weekend, lighting up that scoreboard. If Chase Shores gets in on the bump, I have him hitting 100 as well. I think... Jared Jones will DH if it's not Friday night. I think Jared Jones will definitely DH on Saturday. I think you'll see Brady Neal catch the Sunday game. I think Paxton Kling, if he doesn't start Friday, is definitely going to start in right field on Saturday. And I think Paul Skeens will DH on Sunday. So it's a lot of I thinks, just a little lanyap. But once again, uh, tanks to hit the first home run. Skeens and Shores to hit 100 on the radar gun this weekend. Uh, Neil to catch Sunday. Kling to definitely get a start, and then schemes to DH on Sunday as well. Also, I'm putting the over under for total home runs for the Tigers this weekend at 9.5. I'm gonna put a lot of these predictions up on my Twitter account so y'all can comment, agree, disagree. But just having a little fun with the pod. All right, that's gonna do it for this weekend. I'm predicting a sweep by the LSU Tigers, and I think they handle this series pretty comfortably. There may be some struggles early. Just with some jitters and some nervousness and being so amped up, you can see that a lot of times with pitchers trying to do too much, hitters trying to do too much, trying to hit every ball out of the ballpark, and the pitchers trying to strike out every opposing batter. They're going to settle in, their talent's going to take over, and I think the subs are going to be able to get in there and show Coach Jay Johnson what they can do facing a different opponent. But can some of those Western Michigan hitters that I previewed make some noise and do some damage for LSU pitchers? I think they absolutely can, but... I think if they do that, it's going to be more towards the later end of the game against maybe some inexperienced relievers that pitching coach Wes Johnson and those guys throw out there later in the games. That's going to do it for this week's LSU position player and Western Michigan preview on the 60 feet, six inches LSU pod. Please make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel to stay up to date on all the latest content and check out the previous SEC preview episodes that you may have missed. Follow and hit that notifications bell on Twitter. Once again, the account is at 60FT6INLSUPOD. And as always, the pod will be available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. This episode will be linked via the YouTube channel, on the Twitter account as well. Be on the lookout for the Western Michigan Review Pod. And until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, Go Tigers!